Hello, my rebels. You know I talk about the United Kingdom partly out of personal interest, partly out of friendship with Tommy Robinson, but partly because it is my own dystopian time machine to see our fearful future five years from now. Today I talk about the milkshaking of politicians there, Tommy Robinson, Carl Benjamin, and Nigel Farage. Milkshaking is a new verb. It means going up to a politician you don't like and throwing a milkshake in their face. Milkshakes for now, but as I'll show you in a moment, uh, plenty of other people have other ideas like acid or bricks. Um, that's the UK in 2019. I say to you that's Canada in 2024, maybe sooner. Without further ado, I'll let you, well, I'll just a little bit of further ado. Can you go to the rebel.media slash shows and be a premium member? It's eight bucks a month. That's not a lot of dough. Eight bucks a month, you get access to the TV version of this. Oh my God, I'm showing you milkshakes being thrown. I can describe it, but you want to see that with your own eyes. Am I right? That's what the premium membership is for. Eight bucks a month, you get all these shows video style, plus Sheila's show and David, uh, David Menzies' show. It's worth it. And even if you don't think it's worth it, it helps us out. How's that? All right. Here's the show. You are listening to a Rebel Media podcast. Tonight, liberals in the United Kingdom embrace physical violence in their election campaign. Could that come to Canada too? It's May 21st, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government for why I publish it because it's my bloody right to do so. Yet again, let me take you back into my personal dystopian time machine, five years into the future here in Canada, or just hop on a plane to the United Kingdom right now, because what's happening there will happen here, because if you don't change the direction you're going, then you're likely to end up where you're heading. As usual, it starts with our friend, Tommy Robinson, as you know, he's running for public office. He's running to be a member of the European Parliament since the UK Conservatives haven't kept their promise to follow through on the Brexit referendum. They're stuck in there. And it's time to elect new members of the European Parliament, MEPs, as they're called. So Tommy is running in Northwest England, and he's got a chance because the top eight names on the ballot in that region will win. So he only needs 10% or even less. He's got a chance. So a few days ago, he was talking to voters on the street in a town, and one Muslim man came up to him, was shouting at him. You could see repeatedly a group of left-wing activists with him. Now, Tommy being Tommy, he tried to talk to this man, and he did, until the man just threw a milkshake in his face. It was as premeditated as can be. He wasn't there to debate. That man was there to cause damage, cause humiliation, cause a ruckus. The cameras were rolling. He threw it in Tommy's face. And yet the media, the mainstream media, turned that man into a hero. The Guardian newspaper, I'm not serious. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. Look at this loving picture they have of the man. They said the milkshake slipped out of his hand by accident. That is what was reported in the Guardian newspaper. The media made the assaulter into the victim, but not before police did. Police actually helped the attacker get away, as you know. They literally gave him a ride to the train station, as you know. Not to the police station, the train station. And he got in the cabin. I think I showed you this a few weeks ago when it happened, but this is the just step one in our story today. He boasted about what he did and praised Allah. I think I showed this to you before. Take a look. 
Yes, bro. Yes, G. How are you, man? Respect, BB1. Hey, did, did you get even get nicked? Nah, bro. Yeah, man. Everything's blessed. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Lana shukar. It's pretty excited about it. Praise Allah. So the five P professionals, as Daniel Pipes calls them, the establishment, the elites, you know, the press, the politicians, the police, the prosecutors, the professors, they all love this. Not only did they not oppose what this guy did, they cheered it. The police and the prosecutors did not arrest him or charge him. The press turned the criminal into a hero. Professors opined about it. Politicians said it was dandy. Ha-ha, so funny! Humiliating people by assaulting them. It is an assault. If you doubt me, try doing it to a policeman. Try doing it to the prime minister or someone that the 5P professionals haven't decided is an unperson yet. Police have decided that Tommy is an unperson. And why not? So has Facebook, so has Twitter, so has PayPal, so have the courts who threw him in prison for doing journalism. So Tommy, for sure, but then slightly less controversial people than Tommy started getting assaulted. This guy named Carl Benjamin, who has the online nickname Sargon of a Cat, he's running for the UKIP party. They've milkshaked him, too, as the new verb goes. And then Burger King UK or the woke 20-something leftist who runs their Twitter account, wrote this tweet over the weekend. Dear people of Scotland, we're selling milkshakes all weekend. Have fun, love BK. Just saying. They were a bit oblique, but I don't know if you can see what's going on here. They confirmed it to a few other Twitterers by liking their interpretation that they were actually encouraging assaults on people they didn't like. So that's a multinational corporation based in Brazil, multi-billion dollar company, actually owns Tim Hortons too. And they're saying, yeah, go ahead. Use our milkshakes to assault someone who is unfashionable to the left. And wouldn't you know it, less than 24 hours later, a leftist did milkshake a candidate of the right. Uh, first it was Tommy, then it was UKIP, now, it's Nigel Farage, leader of the Brexit Party, former UKIP leader. The Brexit Party actually polls show will win the MEP elections with the most seats. Now, I'd say that Nigel's actually part of the establishment. But so what? Just like when Hollywood shouted about punching a Nazi in the face, they defined Nazis as anyone they wanted to punch in the face. It was circular that way. So some leftist extremists did just that. Yeah, just an assault. No surprise, it's some loser who was a remainer, as they call the pro-EU people who lost the referendum election. He's a Jeremy Corbyn Labour fan, so he's a leftist. And like the Democrats in the United States who kept ranting about how Donald Trump isn't our legitimate president, he didn't really win the elections, or the Russians stole it, or whatever. This guy didn't believe Brexit should happen, even though the Leave side won. So he takes to violence now. Now, Farage was restrained and thoughtful. He pointed out in a tweet that democracy only works, let me quote, for a civilized democracy to work, you need the loser's consent. As in, if Obama agreed to leave the office, if the Remain side agreed to accept the leave victory, that's the only way democracy works. 
that's the thing, like so many rules and customs and laws, the left now only supports those rules and customs and laws when it benefits them. Free speech is an obvious example. They love it for themselves, take it away from their opponents. Democratic votes, obvious example. And now, the rules, customs, and laws against violence. They're selective, it seems like. The media response was instant. Throwing milkshakes at someone is not an act of political violence, says the new statesman. Look at that guy. Of course it's violence. Of course it violates your personal your person, throwing something at someone is assault, it's battery. Uh, throwing something that messes them up is assault, even it's mischief. It doesn't have to deeply hurt you to be violence. It's still illegal, it's still violent. The test is not how badly you hurt someone. It's if you commit a crime deliberately violating someone's personal integrity. And Tommy was the test case, and then was Carl Benjamin of UKIP. So yeah, of course, Nigel Farage is next. It, it did hurt him, though, obviously. It physically dirtied him and his suit. But, of course, the goal was humiliation, which is much worse than a dirty suit. It was personal humiliation in the moment at the place he was, and it was national, international humiliation on video. And that loser thug was thrilled with himself. I effing did it! It was Farage! I can't believe I did it! He was so excited, he was boasting about it. Other media instantly agreed. They were so excited. It wasn't just funny, said the Independent. It's absolutely hilarious. But hang on, that, that's violence. It's the, it's the literal definition of violence. But it's fine to the left when it's done to the right. So actual violence is not violence now. But mean words, that to the left is violence. And not just to the left, to the 5P professionals. This man here, James Goddard, a self-styled leader of the Yellow Vests in the United Kingdom. He once accosted a leftist MP named Anna Subri, walking with her near Parliament and shouting at her that she's a Nazi. Now that's over the top. She's not a Nazi, and neither is Goddard either. And it's not nice to shout at someone, but it's, n it's nothing that isn't shouted at any conservative on any given day. But he didn't throw anything at her. He didn't milkshake her. Nonetheless, he was charged with a crime, and, and he was immediately banned from the city of London, before he was convicted, by the way. There are 23,000 jihadis in the United Kingdom, as you know, just running around. They're not banned from London. Police say they're watching them. You can't watch 23,000 people. But they're not banned from London. But this one guy shouts at an MP, and he's banned from London? How'd that work? So, so nonviolence is now violence. But violence is not violence. Well, they were just getting going, my friends. Here's a brewery that said milkshakes are fine, but, you know, um, hit them over the head with a brick as is traditional. And wouldn't you know it, in fact, some leftists did throw a brick at Tommy's campaign vehicle TV screen and, and broke it. Police arrested him. He said he would happily do it again. There's the thug there, a leftist. Here's some gentle, caring leftist who said, you know, milkshakes are, are fine, but really, I'd prefer acid. But milkshakes will do for now. <laughs> That's a thing in the UK, by the way, throwing acid in people's faces. It happens several times a day. Isn't that strange? 
But back to Tommy, because they start with him and then they move towards the center from him. They see what they can get away with with him, then they set the precedent and then say they can expand it by moving to UKIP and then to the Brexit party, always going step by step. Obviously, you can't start with the prime minister. Start with Tommy, see if you can get, a, get away with it. So look at this from when Tommy Robinson was campaigning in the town of Oldham. More than 100 Muslim men, many wearing masks, some shouting Allah Akbar, threw rocks and bricks and stones and bottles at men and women and children who were peaceful Tommy Robinson campaign event attendees. They, they swarmed into the town. They had come in from out of town. They called themselves the Muslim Defense League, masks, Allah Akbar, throwing rocks at kids. Tommy personally put the kids at the campaign event in the back of a campaign van so they wouldn't be hurt while police just stood around. But here's the craziest video of all, crazier than the rock throwing or the swarming. It's the Muslim Defense League, that's what they call themselves, wearing masks, literally being escorted for more than a mile by police directly to Tommy and his campaign event. As in, these Muslim activists who came in from out of town, they didn't know where to go exactly. They were fairly far away. There's a hundred of them. They couldn't hop in a cab. And instead of being held back or being asked to demask or put the rocks down, Police walked with them right to where Tommy was. That happened. But look at how that was all reported in the media. Police cars were smashed. Police cars were, were damaged. Violence erupted. I love that passive tense. Violence erupts. It just broke out, folks. It's like a case of the measles. You never know how it happened. They never tell you. The only name they say, in fact, is Tommy Robinson. Is that what happened? Did violence erupt at a Tommy Robinson campaign event? Or did a group of 100 Muslims, some masked, some saying Allah Akbar, attack Tommy in this peaceful rally with rocks, with the police escorting them, which is true. That is why no one trusts the media anymore. But it's not just the media, it's the police, it's the prosecutors, it's the politicians, it's all of them. The entire establishment has decided that you can do these things with impunity to Tommy Robinson because he's a non-person. Now they're trying it on Nigel Farage. I don't know how that will work. Hey, how long before political candidates in Canada are attacked by Antifa thugs with police standing by passively? How long until political candidates are attacked in Canada with police literally acting as guides and escorts to the thugs? Five years, I'd say. Stay with us for more. You're worried about that. You're worried about costs. You should be worried about the costs that we are passing on to our kids, the cost of climate change. Yeah. We have got an emergency here, and the party opposite is not telling the truth to Canadians. We are paying. We've gone from $400 billion a year to over $2 billion to $400 million to $2 billion because of the cost of climate change. Why don't they step up? Why don't they step up for climate action? Why don't they step up for the economy of the future and stop misleading Canadians? Holy moly, you know why my colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed calls her Old Yeller. I'm sorry, that's just too funny. Sheila, of course, coined the phrase climate Barbie, but Barbie is sweet and endearing. That was shouty and angry, and she's had a series of furious tweets um, linking to profanity-laden 
uh, excoriations of people who don't like paying more for their gasoline. I wonder if it's going to work. I think that the liberals are flapping around looking for some issue to go into the election on. I don't know if it'll be the economy. I don't think it can be. Uh, they've trotted out some, I don't know, some trial balloons on abortion. I'm not sure if that'll fly. Calling all their opponents neo-Nazis, not sure if that'll work. I think this is their default. Just rant about how they need a tax to change the weather. I don't know. Joining us now from Edmonton with his point of view is our friend Lauren Gunter, senior columnist with the Edmonton Sun, whose recent column is entitled, Why the Liberals Are Getting Unhinged on Climate Issues. Lauren, great to see you again. Good to see you, old yeller. I like that. That's (laughs) that's Sheila. She's great with the nickname. She's almost Trumpy like that. Um, Sometimes it's good to be outraged. Righteous anger. There is absolutely a place for that in politics. Uh, But being angry at people who don't want to pay a tax, that's sort of being angry at voters. The idea is to reflect voter anger at something, not your anger with voters that they don't want to pay your tax. I think she's aiming the anger at people she's trying to win over, and that just, that's not how physics or elections work. And you know, they're stuck in the middle, they really are, because the scandals have damaged the liberal brand and damaged the Trudeau brand, I think irreparably, certainly over the next four or five years, it's going to be hard for them to recover the brand, the shininess on their brand. So they're looking for ways of appeasing people they need to keep in the fold. I think they've they've sort of given up the idea of expanding beyond their their coalition. I think they're even uh, worried that they don't have the same coalition they had in 2015. So they're just looking for ways of scaring the people who are still in the liberal camp into staying in the liberal camp. You know, there's scary beasts out there in the dark. Don't go out there. There are people who don't believe climate change is happening. There are neo-Nazis. There are people who want to uh, put their rosaries on on the ovaries of women again. I mean, all of those things that that are really just scare tactics. And that's what was used uh, by the NDP in, uh, in Alberta. It was all scare tactics. And that worked in Edmonton, where people don't have to focus on the economy like they do in the rest of the province, because so many people are employed in the public sector in Edmonton. And so they were able to allow themselves the luxury of being scared into voting NDP. Uh, But I don't think that that can work on the broad reach uh, in Alberta or the broad reach in Canada. So I think the Liberals are really stuck and they see the NDP now moving further to the left and deeper green yeah. and they see the Green Party perhaps as an alternative uh, it, with lefty voters who are disgruntled with the Liberals and the NDP and they're just pulling their hair out trying to figure out what to do. So, so they've gotten really, really shrill on a number of things including on the climate file. Yeah, I mean, Look, there's different ways to go hard left, and I agree with you. The Green Party seems well-placed to be the anti-establishment voice of the left. We saw them doing well in Newfoundland and PEI. Uh, They won that federal by-election seat in Nanaimo. The Liberals came in fourth with 11%. -hmm. So I understand going new Green Deal, like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in the States, but she is particularly charming. I mean, I think that she's a socialist. I think she's very shallow, but she's likable. 
she's she's funny. She's got the social media prowess uh, second only to Trump. So that's a certain approach to climate change, green extremism, the happy warrior. I mean, listen, I've got my quarrels with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but she's a great communicator. What, what we showed in that opening clip was a shouting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it, and I think that, like I was looking at the latest Angus Reid poll a couple months ago, that Trudeau's support with men is almost down to 20%. And yeah. I think you have a shouty uh, woman hectoring. It, it, I, just, I think it's a turnoff for, and why do I say men? Because men have to pay the bills. Men are generally the breadwinners. They're thinking this shouting woman is demanding more taxes. I think it's it's a tonal thing. I just thing. don't think. I just uh, let me let me use a curling analogy, if you will. Uh, it, it, my family are longtime curling fans. My grandfather was a very good curler. My uncle, my mother, my my uh, my sister, all devoted curling fans, and almost all of them turn down the sound when they're watching the Scotties, which is the women's national championship, but they don't turn down the sound when they're watching the Briar. It's got nothing to do with men being breadwitters or women being stay at home or anything like that. It's the, the sound of Catherine McKenna. You could, unfortunately, whether it's fair or not, you could probably have a male environment minister who was just as yelly and the tone wouldn't bother people as much, but people tend to tune out the tone or the 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 style that they dislike and she i mean you watched her in that clip she throws her shoulders into the finger pointing you know what it, it's so over the top a lot of people are going to be put off by that and i also think that you know now that you have the carbon tax and it's not popular about two-thirds of canadians oppose it you're starting to see people increasingly supportive of some sort of pipeline uh preferably trans mountain you you, you saw the senate the Senate rise up and defy the House of Commons, or at least Senate committees defy the House of Commons. We yet to see whether the Senate as a whole will continue the revolution that started at the committee to defeat Bill C-48 and C-69, the anti-tanker, oil tanker bill and the anti-pipeline bill. Uh, I just think that there's an increasing number of people in, in Canada. It might only be 45 or 50 percent, might be slightly less than that. But you're seeing the largest plurality of voters who are now starting to question whether or not we can actually afford mm -hmm. the environmental dreams, the green dreams of the Rachel Notleys and, and the Justin Trudeaus and the Catherine McKenna's and the, and, and the John Horgan, the B.C. premier. Uh, they're, they're starting to question that. And I don't think the way to assuage their fears is to get more shouty. Yeah. Well, I mean, my point about referring to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could be applied to Rachel Notley, too. It's it's possible to be a powerful, persuasive woman in a brutal election campaign. In fact, at the end of the Alberta election campaign, really, the ballot proposition was, was don't you like and trust mm -hmm. Rachel Notley as a human more than Jason Kenney? And and I mean, that's certainly how their messaging was put. So I, I just think that at the end of the Alberta election, I, I honestly think two years ago, uh, you could have held the vote. It would, the same result would have happened. Uh, but I actually think at the end of the Alberta election, people outside Edmonton were so eager yeah. to have uh, a, an economically grown up 
group back in charge in Alberta that you could have found uh, video of UCP candidates involved in ritualistic satanic cults, <laughs> and that's they still would have won. But, yeah. but nonetheless, you're right about the message. At the end, the NDP put all of their eggs in the Rachel Notley basket and said, Look, she's just so much more charming than than Jason Kenney. And the voter said, yeah, so what? She's charming, but she's run the economy into the ground. We got to get somebody else. Well, let me ask you this, because there was a clip of uh, of Trudeau at the United Nations um, at a U.N. forum the other day on um, on being a feminist. Did you see that clip? Uh, Mm -hmm. Lauren, he was boasting about how he's going to keep saying he's a feminist until he gets no reaction because it's completely normal. Here, let's play a quick uh, clip of that. Well, I'm going to keep saying loud and clearly that I am a feminist uh, until... (laughs) Hear me roar. Until it is met with a shrug. Uh, why does every time I say I'm a feminist, uh, you know, the Twitterverse explodes and uh, news medias pick, pick it up, it shouldn't be something uh, that creates a reaction. It simply is saying, I believe in the equality of men and women, and I believe that we still have an awful lot of work to do to get there. That's like saying the sky is blue and the grass is green. Um, and now, I know that's talking about something else, but that's that smooth, charming... Yeah pickup artist approach that worked like crazy in 2015 um, Mm -hmm. because everyone was flattered that this handsome boy was paying attention to us and he said all the right things. Now that he's revealed to be an imposter, especially on women's issues, he can still get a round of applause on that from the UN who hasn't been following his treatment of Jody Wilson-Raybould or Jane Philpott. But watching that now, it's so, such an imposter. It's creepy. It's so he's such an imposter. He's creepy. And this is that's the funny thing. I mean, I I once remember interviewing a specialist in sexual harassment uh, in the workplace. And what she said was that good looking men get away with things that less well looking or less good looking men can't get away with Mm -hmm. saying things in the office. Uh, You know, a a good looking man asks a woman out on a date. She's not interested, but she feels flattered that this really charming guy asked her out. Uh, The ugly guy from accounting asks, and she's just so creeped out by it. She, she calls the sexual harassment officer in. And, uh, you know, Trudeau has gone since 2015 from being the handsome guy in the office who's flattering you with his attention to the guy now who, no matter what he says, it just comes off kind of icky. And you you, you just want to jump in the shower after you've heard him yeah. talk. Well, and that's the thing. And I, and I come back to that cover story in McLean's magazine written by Paul Wells, the yep. imposter. And I keep pointing out, the imposter is a reflection on the author. The author was fooled. Now the author is disillusioned and the author is angry because he was tricked. Justin Trudeau is the same Justin Trudeau he's always been. Paul yeah. Wells and just you realized you call him shiny pony. You weren't tricked. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that, but a lot of people were. And, and that's my point is that if they play the sunny ways, we're different, we're more transparent, we're more democratic, we're more open, we believe in, um, you know, we believe in diversity of opinion. That played in 2015, <laughs> but I don't think it's gonna work in 2019. No. And so no. you see the shouty Catherine McKenna. It'll work with some of their core people who are afraid that, uh, you know, 
Andrew Scheer is going to uh, return us to the Stone Age. They'll buy into those sort of tactics. Mm. But uh, but if you say, no, 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 look, he is a real feminist. He, he keeps saying it. He want, he's been saying it all along. But every time a, a, a powerful woman confronts him with an opinion contrary to his own, he fires her, or he demeans her, or he tries to explain away why he groped her. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, all of that simply puts a lie to, to the image. And so the only people I think are going to be left to uh, buy into his sunny ways, I'm a feminist, uh, ickiness. I just keep coming back to that word, and it's kind of icky, uh, are the real true believers. And that's, I think, now where the liberal war room is at, is that they realize they have to keep the true believers on board because they've lost just about everybody else. I mean, look at look what they did the other day with, with the uh, agreement with with Legault, the premier of Quebec, to allow Quebec to decide who the Supreme Court justices will be from from that province. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were in, in the Meech Lake Accord, there was a there was a clause offered to all the provinces that the prime minister would pick Supreme Court justices from short lists provided by the provinces, all the provinces. Mm -hmm. Now there's an agreement with the federal government and the Quebec government that Quebec gets to tell the prime minister the number one choice they want for Supreme Court justices appointed out of Quebec. No other province gets that. Yeah. And you, you know they're going to say stuff like that because it, it that helps them win votes in Quebec. And yeah. so they're really looking at micro-selecting strategies all the way across the country. Yeah. Incredible. You know what? I I didn't believe until in the last month that Andrew Scheer could win. I yep. just thought, yep. Yep. you know, the Jody Wilson-Raybould thing, it'll fade and you yep. still have six months and you got the media bailout. But I think the Mark Norman thing solidified yep. some of the corruption. And then when I was in Ottawa uh, reporting on his the day he was um, released from charges, I observed as much the media party journalists in the room as much as Mark Norman or his lawyer, and I could tell that none of them were any more in love with Trudeau. That's not to say yeah. they like okay. Sheer, but the love is gone. They've been, they've been disillusioned too. And I actually think that no matter what the liberals throw at Andrew Sheer, unless there's some huge intervening act, I actually believe yeah. Sheer is going to win. Maybe just a minority. I'm willing yeah, to go yeah, on the record that. Go ahead. That's where I'm at at the moment, too. Yeah. Is that I think we're looking at a, a conservative minority. I don't think they'll be able to win over enough people to actually get a majority. But yeah. but I think you, you could easily see a conservative minority. And and this is exactly when you're talking about the, 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 the media party journalists in the room at the Mark Norman uh, press conference. That's exactly what was happening in Alberta. You had uh, all of these journalists who loved Rachel Notley. But they could see that it was over. Yeah. And while they were uh, being very friendly in their coverage of her and very complimentary, uh, they had already seen the handwriting on the wall. They were not trying to make excuses. I, the only exception I would say in Alberta was the CBC, yeah. which had at some time seven reporters yeah. trying to dig up dirt on Jason Kenney. Yeah. Uh, but. But this is, I think, the same thing that's happening now nationally is that uh, the press gallery, which was and has been in love with Trudeau for a long time, 
uh, now realizes when they wake up that uh, that he's the gigolo who's going through their purse looking for cash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me leave with one more uh, point. And uh, we used to cover Australia a little bit more closely here at The Rebel when we had Mark Latham uh, working for us. Now he's actually an elected uh, legislator again, which is uh, uh, interesting. Um, they recently had an election where the governing liberal coalition, now they say liberal, that's actually the right-wing party versus the Labour. Every single poll said that the Labour was going to win, and a big part of their push was global warming, climate action, carbon tax, and nope. Defying the pollsters, the uh, liberal coalition, that's what they call their right-wingers there, won. Won with a... You know, it was so many points more than, I forget the exact number that the pollsters predicted. I yeah. think that people tell pollsters, yeah, I really care about global warming, man. But at the pump and in the ballot booth, they, yeah. they mark an X I honestly. I think that's exactly right. I mean, they, 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 it, this is a moral panic. Uh, climate change. And so uh, most people will say, well, yeah, sure, I'm worried about climate change. My gosh, that that would be awful if, you know, 70 or 80 years after I'm dead, the temperature around the globe is up by two degrees. <gasps> um, you know, so they do. But I think you're right. I think they do. They, that, that That is the answer that's expected at cocktail parties. It's the answer that's expected when somebody puts a microphone in front of your face. And so people say, oh, yes, of course, I'm very concerned about it. And then they get mad when they see a four percent or four cent increase per liter on on a uh, gas pump, and and they go into the ballot box and they say, ah, I don't need this, and they vote. Uh, at least a majority will vote against that. So I think the liberals are going to find that. But I really think, and I also hope, the liberals are going to go deeper green between now and October, and as a result of that, we're uh, uh, we're going to see a conservative minority. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, Lauren Gunter, great to see you again. Thanks for your time, my friend. You too. All right, there you have it. Lauren Gunter's column in the Edmonton Sun, I recommend it. It's called Why the Liberals Are Getting Unhinged on Climate Issues. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Welcome back to my monologue yesterday about the United Kingdom. Boy, I'm talking about that a lot these days. Betty writes, I keep waiting for the moment when the British people decide they've had enough. Well, I think they decided they had enough, Betty, in Brexit, but they were ignored. I think they're going to decide they've had enough on May 23rd uh, when the election is. I know Nigel Farage is going to win the most seats. Tommy has a chance, but I think that a disarmed people are no longer citizens, they're subjects. Because at the end of the day, what are they going to do? I'm not saying that Americans would rise up in a revolution, but the fact that so many Americans actually do have firearms means the government can only push them so far. I think that if the government in the United States, like if Barack Obama simply refused to move out of the White House, um, despite Donald Trump's victory, I think the people would have risen up with rifles. Uh, The government would never have done that because they would have known that was a possibility. In the UK, that's exactly the analogy, as if Obama wouldn't have left the White House. Brexit, the leave side of Brexit won 17.4 million voters, the highest vote in British history. And the government just said, yeah, uh, we'll take that under advisement. Thanks very much. Three years later, they're still in. So yeah, what will it take for the Brits to, to rise up? We'll rise up with what? Butter knives? Philip writes, 
you strenuously caution that the decline of personal freedom in the UK is coming to Canada. It already has. Look no further than the situation in Caledonia, Ontario, where police not only stood by while native protesters terrorized local citizens, those same police brutalized citizens standing up for their rights. I think we can probably name several instance, instances like that. I'm familiar with the Caledonia case. I can name others in other provinces too. What I see in the United Kingdom is system-wide. In fact, I think all the real cops have retired or just have stopped fighting, and now there's a whole new generation of feelings cops. Like I said, there's 900 cops in the Metropolitan Police of London alone who are on the Facebook beat, 900 specifically on that beat. So it's not episodic or ad hoc as it is in Canada. On my interview with Joel Pollack, Robert writes, with respect to China, Trump is taking advantage of the simple fact that the U.S. buys far more from China. China has been in a trade war with the U.S. decades, and it is only now Trump has engaged them in a meaningful manner. I agree, and that's Trump's phraseology, too. We've been in the war. We just haven't fought back. And at the end of the day, America is such an industrial engine, and their growth is so high. Yeah, I mean, they're saving a few bucks here and there by buying cheap goods from China. But, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to pain the average American more than a few bucks here or there to displace, to substitute other goods for Chinese goods. That's what these tariffs do. These tariffs basically slap an extra cost on Chinese imports. And so American importers can either sell that Chinese stuff at a marked up price or source it from India, Vietnam, Taiwan, Korea, whatever. So at the end of the day, it is true that your American consumers may be paying a few bucks more for this or that. But America's economy is growing so fast, Americans don't notice it. That's a point Joel make. But 300 million Americans pay a small price. China pays an enormous price. I think Trump is going to make him blink. As Joel thoughtfully pointed out, even Democrats who hate Trump realize he's the only t- guy brawler enough, like Conor McGregor who could take on China. I, th- I think that's exactly right. Well, that's the show for the week. It is interesting that our friend Tommy is running for parliament. The election is Thursday. Can you believe it? I think the guy's got a chance. We'll see. I might scoot over there and be there on election night. All right, till next time. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Mm-hmm.